0: Yale Podcast Network. Welcome to the Macmillan Report. I'm Marilyn Wilkes, your host, and our guest is Ranu Raichaudry. She comes to Yale from the Indian Institute of Technology in Guwahati, where she is Assistant Professor of Humanities and Social Sciences. She is a historian of photography and art with interest in South Asian studies, post-colonial theory, popular visual culture, and intellectual history of art. Today, we'll talk with Professor Roy Choudhury about her paper, Photographs of People, Monument for a City. Welcome, Ranu. Thank you so much, Marilyn, for having me here today.
1: So let's begin with an overview of your paper. Tell us about it. The paper is on an intertwined history of visual conventions, political commitment, and intellectual orientation vis-a-vis arguably the longest-running photo-documentary project on the city of Calcutta, titled People of Calcutta. The project began in 1977 and ran through early 1991. And it was done in two phases. The first part of the project was called Shahid Minar, and it's translated as Monument of Martyrs. And the second phase was uh, it can be translated as the home and the world. Okay. And these two parts, under the larger rubric of people of Calcutta, was done um, under the the umbrella of a Jesuit organization called Mm Chitrabani. And the word Chitrabani is a Bangla word, which you can translate as uh, words and images. uh, But you also can translate in other ways. And also it was a uh, word that was used by the Nobel laureate Bengali poet Rabindranath Tagore Mm -hmm. to uh, talk about cinema. So that would also have been part of why this institution was named um, Chichabani. and uh, so the institution was an offshoot of uh, the St. Xavier's College in Calcutta, mm-hmm. and the Jesuits have a like long history in the city, and they had like long investments both in time and um, in terms of time as well as in terms of the breadth of it in um, education and social projects. Mm-hmm. So, so this was just an offshoot, yet another offshoot, but. The interesting, most interesting part is, this is the the world we are talking um, after the Vatican Second Council, which okay. is like the early 1960s. And what happened uh, in the Vatican Second Council is uh, the Catholic Church uh, started incorporating non-Christians within the larger fold of uh, the Christian preaching, also, it started to deal with what was then the new media, which is now the old media. Okay. So how to incorporate non-Christians and also how to incorporate uh, new media in um, the church activities. So, and with that kind of an orientation, the Catholic Church had uh, the Canadian priest of Belgian origin, Father Gustav Rubesh, who moved to Calcutta in the uh, 60s, Sent to uh, UCLA for a degree in film and media, mm-hmm. so he got his degree. He goes back to Calcutta, and starts this organization in 19, uh, early 1970s. Okay. right. So and followed by that, there were series of national emergencies in India, uh, and that, as you know, is a suspension of uh, democratic uh, rights of the citizen, and there was ban on photography and more generally media activities. So okay. the organization had to stall their program of launching this uh, documentary project, which they then had to wait till 1977 for the emergency to go over. And so that they could start go out in the public and photograph stuff that Mm -hmm. wasn't possible under the emergency. Okay. So uh, initially they had a plan of making um, audiovisual documentaries, but it's also a time when the the government of india had a 20 200 percent import duty on film stocks so they could not uh, like afford to get a lot of films so mm-hmm. and they started with cut films from local film industry and also depended on donation from other sources for celluloid films that they can use so eventually Truncheon resources forced them to move into steel photographs, and that's how the whole project began. Now, uh, the reason for um, creating this huge body of photographs, and you'll be surprised to know the number, a total of 12,000 photographs. Wow, I was uh, getting yes. ready yes. to ask you. Yes, 12,000, wow. That, that is a lot. That's the total oeuvre of Chichabani collection, mm-hmm. but for only, if you focus only on people of Calcutta project, it's 4,000 Okay. still. It's not less. Right. If you're dealing with uh, four thousand photographs, that means negatives, prints, and also they had index cards, mm-hmm. and they have everything cataloged. So you're basically dealing with a lot of
0: mm-hmm.
1: information, right, and right. and managing that information so that the posterity can access that information forty years down the line. Mm-hmm. And I was the person who accessed, and so yeah. So uh, going back to why this project was launched, like there was a theological aspect of it. So. Theology of Communication was a major impetus in Mm -hmm. conceiving this project following from the Vatican Second Council. It also was uh foster by a social commitment to giving face to the faceless and that was sort of our tagline for the entire project mm-hmm. In two periods and I'll come to the right because I do want to know of... who I want you to describe some of the photographs and who these people are Absolutely, I'll come to that. Okay. But uh, so when you say face to the faceless What kind of people are you thinking about? Mm-hmm. It's really the everyday lives of very ordinary citizens of Calcutta who otherwise would not have photographs made? Like, so the first part was specially focused on economically marginalised section mm. of Calcutta, okay. and the second part was more sort of a middle class. But okay. but when they focus turned their camera to the middle class, it's not the the okay. high achieving middle class that they were thinking about. They were talking about more sort of like everyday people in the city and okay. their everyday, very banal, mundane lives, mm-hmm. uh, f- and a lot of acts of everyday living that we won't photograph. Even mm-hmm. in today's date of Instagram and camera phone, there mm-hmm. are certain acts we think it's just too banal to be photographed, right? right. You need an event mm-hmm. to capture it sure. through the camera. So yeah, so so there are two segments. The so first part is underprivileged Calcutta, and, and the second part is uh, the middle-class Calcutta. So, and, the uh, face for the faceless is more sort of the for the first section, but I also feel that same thought can be extended to thinking about the middle class. Okay. And as I said, I mean, we are talking about a pre-digital era where even the middle class, not all of them would have a camera for to themselves sure. to document their, say, like doing laundry, as, as simple as that. Mm-hmm. But it's a very important ritual of... Daily living, right. so they would not have the instrument to record that daily living, and so that was the kind of phase that uh, the gharibare segment of people of Calcutta uh, gave an opportunity to people to have an image of so Mm -hmm. which wasn't possible before so and uh, so that that was one goal the second goal was to counter the contemporary international as well as national understanding of Calcutta as a post-colonial dystopia Mm -hmm. so uh, so they were uh, they were thinking Calcutta as a cityscape as a space as people's lived experience, not Mm -hmm. simply in terms of city of palaces or worst of urban disasters. So those are the two polarizing world. They were uh, like intervening somewhere in the middle Mm -hmm. and trying to say that, well, sure. I mean, the world is not perfect. There are problems. Yeah, there are sure, dystopic moments. But that does not necessarily make people hopeless. Mm it also kind of a moment to reflect on the resilience of the people who live in the city and mm-hmm. fight back a lot of societal as well as urban injustices mm-hmm. so when you're thinking about the urban poor it's not simply the poor as as the wretched mm-hmm. as a somebody who we should look down upon it's it's also, the photographs were also meant to restore humanity and dignity to the people. So for them, making a photograph of the people, so unintended city, that's what they call uh, to photograph an unintended city is to restore humanity and restore dignity to these people. Mm -hmm. So that was a major impetus. And when they're looking at the middle class, it was an interesting moment because most of the photographers, and I should have mentioned before, Majority of the photographers were not Catholics. Okay. And and pretty much all of them aligned themselves with some sort of leftist activism. Okay. There were a few people who were card carrying members of the Communist Party of India, but most were not card carrying, yet, say, would vote the CPIM in the elections. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So they had a broad, uh, like, left leaning, broadly speaking. And I mean, left in the broadest possible scope when I say this. Okay. So um, so yeah, so these photographers, when they started photographing the middle class, they were in a way also looking at themselves. Mm-hmm. So it's it's also going back home and photographing their acts of leaving. So a lot of photographs came out of, of their own homes. Okay. So somebody's dad sipping tea in the morning mm-hmm. or, somebody's um, relative folding clothes. I mean, as simple as these acts were getting documented. So uh, so if the first part was kind of looking into the other side of Calcutta mm-hmm. for the photographers and also the middle class viewers of those photographs, the second part was like a really reflexive moment for this entire practice of documenting the city. Mm-hmm. So,
0: yeah. OK, and so minimally 4,000 photographs for Calcutta. Mm-hmm. where are these photographs now and how did you orient yourself
1: to them what was the process like for you right so all photographs negatives and the prints that were made in the 70s through the 90s and the ind- index cards that I mentioned and they are absolutely central so they would make this tiny little cards put them on this index and on the side they will actually have the technical details so we mm-hmm. actually have the darkroom details of the wow. kind of chemical they used the kind of films they use and uh, the kind of camera so we actually have the details like and of course the photo many of the photographers are still around okay. so if you talk to the photographer and then you take a look at the index card it actually gives a sense of what went behind the scene mm-hmm. even before this print called it the, th- the, the object called photograph came into being in this world so I this entire thing is in Anka Calcutta uh-huh. in in Chitrapani archive uh, which is uh, in um, Rafi Ahmed Kidwai Road that's pretty much in central Calcutta
0: Okay, so how many, how many photo, photographers did you get a chance to speak with?
1: Oh, I was very lucky. So, I mean, they had 23 photographers. I got a chance to talk to, I think, like 15 or 16.
0: Wow, wow. So, how, so how old would bad. they
1: be now? Uh, they're like it, it varies really. Mm-hmm. So from a late 50s through Mid 70s. So okay. that's sort of the age right, range, right? Okay And did you talk to them about it was
0: what it was like for them to participate in the project?
1: Oh, yeah, of course I mean uh, when they participated most of them were like very young mm-hmm. fresh graduates or in, in some cases there was one person who was a uh, like college dropout and he was very proud I mean, he's still very proud mm-hmm. and he is like one of the finest photographers of our time. Mm-hmm. Um, so these uh, they were um, like still developing their skill, and um, they were really committed to the idea of social justice. Mm-hmm. So uh, it wasn't like unnatural. They would go to Chichabani and mm-hmm. joined this join this project. So the first generation of photographer who worked for uh, the Shahid Minar uh, section of uh, the project. I mean, there was a advertisement that went out asking photographers to join. Second generation of photographers were trained by the first generation of photographers. So when this project started, they also started a photography training course along with it. Mm -hmm. So the second generation were more sort of like in-house trained. But the first generation who like, who were initially joined from outside, they were also refining their skills. Mm-hmm. So it's a moment of, um, for them, it was moments of discovery, self-discovery, as well as discovery, the medium, mm-hmm. and their personal relationship with the medium and how to go about it. And most of them like became professionals later on, and majority of them st- uh, went on with still photography, some went with moving picture, imagery, uh, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, moving picture photography, so yeah. So
0: you know in terms of um the project I would imagine multiple um photos would have been taken mm-hmm. so I'm wondering what the uh, how the
1: photos were ultimately chosen to be part of the project, who right. was tasked with that? Uh-huh. That's an excellent question. Thank you. I mean, again, we are talking about a pre-digital world mm-hmm. in a in a resource care region where you can't really afford to take a lot of photographs. Mm-hmm. You have to be very precise. Okay. And so it's not like you have option of taking ten shots of a thing and then you delete nine, keep one, or uh, keep four, delete the rest. 10 is 10 10 means a lot i mean uh, so a case like celluloid uh, cassettes mm-hmm. of uh, films would have 36 gates and often people would uh, economize it so that you they get at least like 39 mm-hmm. it's possible to do that but you have to be really very precise okay and if film stocks like the if cost is high there's not like so there weren't multiple shots in okay. most cases, there were like at most like three shots, mm-hmm. but in mostly it was like one two okay that was the limit mm-hmm. so in that way, I mean for us, often it becomes really difficult to choose which one we want to give for them it was like relatively manageable in terms of number okay. but in terms of aesthetic choices and in terms of what they really wanted to portray in the photographs it wasn't as easy a process mm-hmm. I mean, it well, was so there were discussions okay so they would go out in the field make photographs come back work in the dark room develop them and they would do the dark room themselves so it's not like they would send them to labs. so okay. Chichabani had its own very equipped lab so um, yeah so they would work in the dark room and then um, make contact sheets out of them because that's that was we are again we are mm-hmm. talking about a period where I remember those days <laughs> uh, thank you so much you know <laughs> often i mean, just distracting from what we are talking it becomes very difficult to talk to students and often i carry mm-hmm. contact sheets with me when i'm talking contact sheets because they have no clue what i'm talking exactly, about yeah. they have no and you like, have the little loop that you get out uh, yeah, to magnify totally. it. absolutely yeah. Yeah. So, um, and students, like young students, so first year, second years, they often don't have a clue that mm-hmm. I'm really talking about an object, a physical thing that you yes. can hold in your hand, and not a computer screen. Anyway, mm-hmm. going back to the point. So they would uh, develop my contact sheets, and they would, have, like, they would all sit together, the, men- the seniors and the mentors, if there were any from outside. Sometimes there would be like volunteers who would come to uh, work with Jijabani mm-hmm. group. And um, they would of, uh, also participate, and of course, Father Robesh. Okay. So Father Robesh was a really monumental figure in, in this uh, entire institution and in the project. So, so everybody's input was essential, and and there will be people like say Satyajit Ray, the Indian auteur. I mean, he was closely associated with the uh, the institution. I mean, sometime Father Rubesh would so, uh, show some photographs to Ray, and Ray would comment on that. Mm-hmm. So, and there were like many people like uh, coming and going at some point. Ori Katia Abresso was there. So, and they would have like uh, discussion with, Bresso, of course. Mm-hmm. So Katia Bresso is a very common uh, sort of interlocutor, both intellectually and like in real life. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, so they, they would discuss that what is the objective that I went out to field with, and how how is it that I'm contributing to a positive image of the people that I'm photographing. Mm-hmm. So these discussions would actually lead into the kinds of photograph they want to keep or they want to throw away. Let me tell you, they didn't throw away any, so they have the entire collection there. Okay. So yeah, and but for exhibition purposes, they would choose like handful, but. You also have to think about the printing costs, so the chemical cost, I mean all these things were also part of the story behind how many photographs would actually make it to say a gallery exhibition Mm -hmm. or would actually be sold out to people who would come to buy prints.
0: Okay, So. so I am curious if the people of Calcutta themselves, how many do you think were able to see these photographs?
1: Yes, that's uh, a question about circulation. Mm-hmm. So uh, initially, all these photographs were meant to be uh, seen by the people who were depicted in the photographs. Mm-hmm. So community exhibition was a major ch- uh, channel through which these photographs were seen by the mm-hmm. people. So, so they would, t- again, take photograph, come back, develop, and go back with the photographs. Okay. So most people went back, some people didn't. Also, I mean, they have their personal narrative of, of why they didn't go back. I mean, yeah, but, and, but even without thinking about how many people actually saw it, I think it's important to think uh, from the perspective of the institution, the photographers, that they really had an intention that the widest possible like group would actually come see their mm-hmm. photographs. So they would reach out to the communities rather than expecting communities to come to them and see the photographs. Okay. Uh, apart from the community exhibitions, uh, A lot of these photographs have traveled uh, through the Catholic circuits, through the church circuits, uh, across the country and also out of the country. Where did it go outside of the Uh, country? Belgium. So, Belgium, because... uh, uh, So, Father Rubesh had a... French Canadian or mm-hmm. Belgian origin, so Belgium, Canada, are some of the uh, places where these photographs travel. Also, mm-hmm. there was one person um, you know, who was based in Montreal. He's still based in Montreal, and he was in Calcutta for the longest period of time. And during the initial year, year years, he was one of the mentors. Mm-hmm. So, so this person was there, who was actively engaged in the project, and so for, and he took his photographs. Back when he moved back to Montreal, so so there are channels through which the circuit did within mm-hmm. Calcutta. There were two major uh, gallery exhibition: one in early nineteen eighties, another in early nineteen nineties. So okay. there are the eighties. 18, 1980s uh, exhibition was on like the first project, uh-huh. or, like the first section of the project, and the early 90s exhibition was on the second part of the project. So so there are multiple channels through which these photographs circulated, and Father Rubesh as well as the photographers really wanted to reach out to different segments, different classes mm-hmm. of people um, to visually educate them about how to look at a photograph. Right, so, right. Yeah.
0: So ultimately, um, do you think the objective of the project actually worked?
1: It really depends. I mean, it's an interesting question. And this is a question I keep getting whenever I talk about this project to others, because not a lot of people know that this institution existed or this photograph still exists mm-hmm. out there. And people still are very attached to what they made. So the photographers are very attached to the photographs they made like sure. so 50 years back. So. Um, there were twofold objectives. So one was to make a difference in people's lives. The other objective was to create a body of photographs, mm-hmm. right? That would remain as uh, for the posterity as this moment in the, uh, the city's, like, along like three decades in city's lives. Mm-hmm. And um, so the first objective, like making a difference in people's life, how was it expected to happen? Like, how can a photograph be? like really instrumental in changing mm-hmm. changing real life situation well so father Rubesh had a very good answer for that so for him it's really uh, like restored by restoring dignity it's giving people a positive sense of self giving people hope that they are worthy members of the society mm-hmm. no matter what like the hegemonic discourses in the society make them believe they still have um, equal share in in resources mm-hmm in a public life, in public spaces, and asserting that right for them was uh, seen as a major positive state for um, the Chichabani uh, Collective.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, they didn't formally call them a collective, but I mean, I call them a sure. collective with a small C rather than a uppercase C. Right. So, yeah, so I think that happened, yeah. like, I mean, If you ask me I would say yeah I mean I see the point and it really contributed positively in the question of human development Mm -hmm. and of course they created this huge archive of images I mean that's like as a researcher I find it pretty incredible invaluable absolutely but then if you go back to the photographers and if you ask them or if you ask Father Wesh they all have their different answers so for majority of the photographers mm-hmm. um, also it's interesting how over time their answers changed so so there was one photographer who said oh photographs can't make any change in anybody's life so it was we were just kids we were making photographs and we were very happy about our aesthetic uh, pursuits mm-hmm. another group of people the majority of them would say like oh we tried our best but you'd it wasn't really successful. Now this version is from 2006. I interviewed this same group in 2013 again, and they said, "Oh, we were definitely partially successful." Hmm. You asked Father where he said, "Oh, we were moderately successful," hmm. and uh, he's still committed to the idea. So, so what is this real change that we are talking about? Does real change mean that I mean the underprivileged would suddenly one fine morning? Uh, become a, a more um, economically resourceful person, mm-hmm. or are we talking about like change in their vision of themselves? Mm-hmm. So what is Empowered this? Empowered them, perhaps. Yeah, exactly. So empowerment can happen at different level, mm-hmm. right? So when we say real, we often like associate real with material, and I, as a researcher, I see even if there is no material gain through these photographs, there are a lot of empowerment that definitely happened.
0: Right, yeah. right, okay. Final
1: question, you yeah. are
0: here at Yale at the Institute mm-hmm. of Sacred Music doing right. some work, so tell us uh, what you're working on. Uh,
1: well, uh, the, m- my project at Institute of Sacred Music is, was, a lo- was kind of a shoot-off from this paper okay. and my larger book, book project. So uh, the project at ISM, it's called uh, Theology, politics, art, photographs from post emergency Calcutta. So, and here, In the project, I'm specifically looking at theology of communication. And that is something I did not explore earlier in my research, so I was more concerned about the photographers, Mm -hmm. the photographs they were making. So my focus was more towards these objects and the images and the materiality uh, of a photographic image, more generally speaking. But now I'm actually looking into theology of communication because Father Rubesh wrote a lot, and not simply that. I mean, he was squarely located within this, like, bigger discussion
0: mm-hmm.
1: within what is now Global South and what at the other point was the Third World. So, and there was like a, like a series of journals that published a theology of communication mm-hmm. in the Third World. So I'm looking into those discursive spaces and um, Father Rubesh's location in that kind of a global discussion and then try to think about the photographs and the, this uh, theology of communication together. So yeah, so my current project is pretty much kind of um, began while I was working with this huge body of Mm -hmm. photographs.
0: Well, we will certainly look forward to hearing more from you. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you so much for being here. It was really fascinating. Oh, thanks again okay. for having me. For more information about Professor Roy Choudhury and her work, please visit our website at mcmillanreport.yale.edu. Be sure to join us again for another episode of the Macmillan Report, made possible through funding from the Whitney and Betty Macmillan Center for International and Area Studies at Yale.